Hello everyone and welcome to the Consumer Review Report where we deal with consumer issues here on the show. We are on WMCK.FM in McKeesport, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media Inc. This show is heard Sunday at 4 p.m. and Thursday at 9 a.m. Also, if you cannot catch our regularly scheduled shows at Sunday at 4 p.m. and Thursday at 9 a.m., you can catch the podcast on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. Just uh, search for the Consumer Review Report. And uh, again, we deal with consumer issues, so if you have any ideas of any services or products you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any comments or questions about anything you hear on the show, any of the products or services we talk about, You can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also um, on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. All right, so we've got a half and half show today. Um, The COVID-19 vaccines are coming out. And so there's a lot of um, scams and Things like that coming out that you're going to have to be aware of. Uh, So we'll talk about those. Uh, Online scams um, or anybody trying to sell a product that they claim is a vaccine. Those kind of things. Uh, So you have to beware of fraudulent coronavirus tests, vaccines, and treatments. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about what the FDA, FDA says about that. And how to avoid COVID-19 vaccine scams. So we'll be talking about all of that. And then the next half of the program, we'll be talking about uh, gadgets. Verge came out with a couple of YouTube videos. And uh, I guess they were at the CES 2021, 2021 CES, which, where they talk about uh, new gadgets or concepts, that is, of gadgets. They're not actually made yet, and nor they may not be made yet, but they're just ideas on, you know, how to make products better or different gadgets. So we'll be hearing from that, and that was posted by The Verge. And then also they posted two more uh, videos. And so we'll be hearing audio from those two talking about the Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra and the Samsung Galaxy S21 uh, Plus. Uh, Well, actually, it's going to be the Samsung Galaxy S21 and the S21 Plus. And also, as I said before, we will hear on the Ultra as well. So if you are a Samsung fan and you are in need of an updated phone, you might want to listen in on this. Uh, You know, like I said, sometimes people are Apple's, uh, Apple iPhone fans, sometimes Samsung Android phones, you know, LGs. I think once you got your first phone... That's what you pretty much what you usually stick with because that's what you know. So 
Uh, but if there's any people who want to be converted, then maybe you want to also hear the audio on the Samsung S21 Ultra and the S21 and the S21 Plus. So we'll hear about that later. But before I get into the coronavirus uh, scams and all that news, um, there was a recall that came across KKA. Uh, Bob Evans has announced they are recalling 4,200 pounds of Italian pork sausage. The recall comes after it was discovered the meat could also contain pieces of blue rubber. The products in question have a use-by date of January 31st. These items were shipped to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin. While the risk is low, the United States Department of Agriculture, Food, Safety, and Inspection Service still says anyone concerned should contact a health care provider. So that is our recall notice for the week. All right, let's go ahead and get into the uh, vaccine scams that could be out there. There was an article... Um, posted by uh, Reuters. That's right. That's where the article came from. Uh, It was written by Tina Bellin from Reuters. And it was dated January 5th. And so here's what they have to say. As millions of people await their turn to get a COVID-19 vaccine that could be months away, Scammers online, in emails, and on messaging apps are luring victims with claims they can deliver shots within days for as little as $150. COVID-19 vaccine scams are on the rise, according to European and U.S. government officials who are warning the public of fraudsters out for money and personal data. A Reuters search online in dark web forums and on messaging app Telegram found seven different offers for alleged COVID-19 vaccines. Scams include emails promising entry to supposedly secret lists for early vaccine access and robocallers impersonating government agencies. Message boards on the so-called dark web have added COVID-19 vaccines to more traditional illicit goods for sale. The U.S., FBI, and Interpol, among others, have warned of emerging pandemic-related fraud schemes, saying false cures and vaccines advertised on fake websites could pose cyber threats and a significant risk to people's health or even lives. Website domains containing the word vaccine in combination with COVID-19 or coronavirus more than doubled since October to roughly 2,500 in November when the first legitimate vaccines were nearing regulatory approval, according to cybersecurity firm Recorded Future, which is tracking COVID-19 fraud online. In the United States, only about 4.5 million people have received their first shot as of January 5th, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported. That is a fraction of the 20 million who were supposed to have been vaccinated by the end of 2020, according to early government forecasts. The HHS, FBI, and U.S. Department of Justice have urged the public to report any COVID-19 vaccine scams, including people asking for out-of-pocket payments for the vaccine 
and online vaccine advertisements. Now, uh, if you listen to uh, Tube City Almanac, Tube City Online News, this week uh, we'll have a recap uh, that at uh, Moreauville, uh, they are having a pop-up clinic at the uh, Doubletree uh, in Monroeville. And the COVID-19 vaccines are no cost to the people, okay? So if you if there's a scam online saying that they're going to charge you for it, there's other ways to get the vaccine that is free. You don't have to worry about paying $150 to somebody to get a vaccine. Okay, so they will get the vaccine to you, but and you won't even have to pay, right? I don't even know. I think they said that maybe it's even covered uh, with insurance or they don't even bother insurance with it. Let me see if I can find that. So, but that's, uh, that you'll hear that on the news this week on Tube City Almanac, Tube City Online News. If you're not aware that we do that now on WMCK.FM, Internet Radio, McKeesport, we always have the local news, uh, trying to keep you updated on that. I'm still trying to find that little article here. Uh, you know, every time you try to find something, it's like the last thing you ever see. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> so, uh, here we go. Yeah, so if you're not aware, um, there is a pop-up clinic that will be uh, starting January 25th in Monroeville, in the Doubletree Hotel in Monroeville. And it says here... The vaccine does not require insurance and will be of no cost to the individual. So, if people are asking for payment for the vaccine, uh, don't go for it. All right? So, that's part of the scam. All right. The Wall Street Journal came out with a little uh, video. So, we'll hear audio about that. And it's uh, called... um, what is it called here? Fake COVID-19 vaccines. What to know about counterfeit shots sold online. So why don't we go ahead and take a listen to that. As COVID-19 vaccines start being distributed around the world, scams for the products are proliferating, from phishing emails to ads on the dark net. Some of these offer phony Pfizer or Moderna vaccines that can cost as much as $1,500. Once there is a big demand on something, there's starting to be a black market. Officials and researchers around the world are worried about the implications for public health and people's personal information. For instance, in December, the Department of Homeland Security said it had taken down a fake Moderna website, which appeared to have been used for fraud and spreading malware. As it gets to be more broadly applicable, we feel the concerns for, for counterfeit and fake vaccines will be even more pronounced. While Pfizer didn't respond to a request for comment, Moderna said its only sales have been to governments, which are working closely with medical providers to control and secure the first batches of the COVID-19 vaccine. So a legitimate vaccine is unlikely to be sold online by dubious sources. So far, U.S. authorities say that there have been no reports of fake vaccines being delivered to customers. So how do counterfeit COVID-19 vaccines end up online, and what are the risks for people who buy them? 
U.S. health officials say there may be enough vaccines for the general public this spring or summer. And in the future, clinics and insurers in various parts of the world can make vaccines available for purchase. But for some people, this may seem too far away. There is effort from governments to achieve vaccine for their people, but there is limited number of vaccine in general. Oded Vanunu is a security researcher based in Israel, and companies hire him to look for and fix breaches in their networks. Recently, he's been tracking the sale of COVID-19 vaccines on the dark net, a term used to refer to hidden parts of the internet, which require an encrypted browser such as Tor to access. All sorts of illicit goods from drugs to weapons can be traded on these digital black markets. Pharmaceuticals on the dark net eventually surface on illicit platforms that look like legitimate e-commerce or government websites. Vanunu's team has found more than 1,700 new vaccine-related websites that have cropped up since November. Consumers can end up on these through links sent in emails or messaging apps. You think that you buy like from a legitimate place, but you will get the merchandise from the dark net. Vanunu says the best way to spot a counterfeit is to have information about the real vaccine. For instance, some darknet vendors Vanunu spoke to incorrectly stated that the Pfizer vaccine doesn't need to be stored in super freezers at minus 70 degrees Celsius and shipped in dry ice. One of the vendors told us you don't need a minus 70 degree, you need minus 10 and you can put it on the freezer. Vanunu said he reached out to one vendor who was selling a vaccine developed in China, but had no brand. A batch of 14 doses could be delivered within two weeks and was priced at 0.01 Bitcoin, the equivalent of about $250 in December. He purchased $700 worth of this product for research purposes, but two weeks later, it had not arrived. We hopefully it would come in the, in the coming weeks. But if a fake vaccine that was ordered online actually arrives, there are risks for the buyer. A counterfeit manufacturer doesn't really have the knowledge nor the understanding of all of that processes that are necessary to create safe and effective product. Mansoor Amici is a pharmacist who works with vaccine developers and international agencies to track the global trade of illicit drugs and medical products. In Europe, for example, between March and September, authorities seized more than 33 million fake medical devices and eight tons of illicit pharmaceuticals. European authorities warned fake vaccine sellers could do the same. They may mix water or they may create some colored liquid to, to mirror what looks like a vaccine and then put a, a label on top that looks very similar to the Moderna or Pfizer label. One of the biggest risks of being inoculated with fake vaccines is that these substances could be toxic and cause side effects, eventually undermining people's trust in the real COVID-19 vaccine, at a time when many around the world are already skeptical. For instance, a survey shows that the percentage of people who strongly or somewhat agreed they would get the vaccine decreased in December. Anyone who gets inoculated with a fake vaccine may also have a false sense of security that may leave them vulnerable to infection while also raising the risk of transmission to others. So for vaccination campaigns to be effective in fighting the virus, a vast majority of the population will need to get safe vaccines. Okay, so <clears throat> a couple of things to look out for. The Wall Street Journal um, just mentioned, um, you know, you probably don't wanna order anything online. <laughs> You probably want to go to a, a legitimate medical center to get your vaccine. 
Um, I don't think uh, the coronavirus, you know, is it, it doesn't warrant this kind of panic to get false um, vaccines off of the web, in my opinion. I mean, I know some people, they have very acute uh, problems that could be exasperated by the coronavirus, but I don't think that's a reason to panic and get false coronavirus um, vaccines off the web and then uh, it and then you end up catching the virus anyways or it could you know provide more problems for you you know for the symptoms of injecting something that you don't know what you're injecting into yourself so be careful so uh, here's what the FDA has to say about beware of fraudulent coronavirus tests vaccines and treatments This was posted January 4th by the FDA. While we work together to slow the spread of coronavirus disease, also called COVID-19, some people might be tempted to buy or use questionable products that claim to help diagnose, treat, cure, or even prevent COVID-19. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration recently issued emergency use authorizations for two COVID-19 vaccines, Additionally, the FDA is working with other vaccine and drug manufacturers, developers, and researchers to help expedite the development and availability of medical products, such as additional vaccines, antibodies, and medicines to prevent or treat COVID-19. Meanwhile, some people and companies are trying to profit from this pandemic by selling unproven and illegally marketed products that make false claims such as being effective against the coronavirus. These fraudulent products that claim to cure, treat, or prevent COVID-19 haven't been evaluated by the FDA for safety and effectiveness and might be dangerous to you and your family. The FDA is particularly concerned that these deceptive and misleading products might cause Americans to delay or stop appropriate medical treatment, leading to serious and life-threatening harm. It's likely that the products do not do what they claim and the ingredients in them could cause adverse effects and could interact with and potentially interfere with essential medications. The FDA has also seen unauthorized fraudulent test kits for COVID-19 being sold online. You will risk unknowingly spreading uh, COVID-19 or not getting treated appropriately if you use an unauthorized test. So far, the FDA has approved only one treatment for COVID-19. Fraudulent COVID-19 products can come in many varieties, including dietary supplements and other foods, as well as products claiming to be tests, drugs, medical devices, or vaccines. The FDA has been working with retailers to remove dozens of misleading products from store shelves and online. The agency will continue to monitor social media and online marketplaces promoting and selling fraudulent COVID-19 products. For example, the FDA and the Federal Trade Commission issued warning letters to companies for selling fraudulent COVID-19 products. The products cited uh, cited include teas, essential oils, tinctures, and colloidal silver. (laughs) Whatever the heck that is, huh? So the FDA is actively monitoring for any firms marketing products with fraudulent COVID-19 diagnostic prevention and treatment claims. 
The FDA is exercising the authority to protect consumers from firms selling unauthorized products with false or misleading claims. The FDA may send warning letters or pursue seizures seizures or injunctions against people, products, or companies that violate the law. We are also increasing our enforcement at ports of entry to ensure the fraudulent products do not enter the country through our borders. Now, here are some tips to identify false or misleading claims. Be suspicious of products that claim to treat a wide range of diseases. Personal testimonials are no substitute for scientific evidence. Few diseases or conditions can be treated quickly, so be suspicious of any therapy claimed as a quick fix. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And miracle cures, which claim scientific breakthroughs or certain, or, or they contain secret ingredients, are likely a hoax. So there you go. That's what the FDA has to say about that. Now, uh, here's a here's another article from the Federal Trade Commission, and this is actually a funny article. <laughs> it was written by Alvaro Puig, uh, a consumer education specialist at the FTC. <laughs> this is how scammers are trying to rip off people. Scammers are at it again, pretending to be from a government agency to rip people off. Here's what you need to know about the latest coronavirus relief fund scam. You get an email that looks to be from Joe Simons of the Federal Trade Commission. It says you're getting coronavirus relief money. The email includes a fake certificate to make you think that money is real. If you reply, they say you have to pay taxes before you get your money. They may include a fake letter from the IRS. Uh, if you pay, they say you must pay the State Department for a certificate that proves the funds are not related to any terrorist activity and the money is cleared for you to receive. <laughs> and they have in parentheses, yes, really. <laughs> Finally, if you pay that, they send you a fake remittance order showing that the money is on the way to the to your bank account. Alright, so... <clears throat> um, as you might have suspected by now, the money never shows up. That's because every step of the way was carried out by scammers looking to steal your money. So what can you do to protect yourself against imposters when their stories keep changing? All right, be suspicious of any call, email, text, or letter from a government agency asking for money or information. Government agencies don't call you with threats or promises of or demands for money. Scammers do. Don't trust caller ID. It can be faked. Even if it might look like a real call from a real government agency, don't trust it. Never pay with a gift card or a wire transfer. If someone tells you to pay this way, it's a scam. Check with the real agency. Look up their number. Call them to find out if they're trying to reach you and why. If you look up Joe Simons, you'll see that he is the chairman of the FTC. But Joe didn't email you. Scammers pretending to be Joe did. Here's another sign this is a scam. The FTC is not involved in distributing coronavirus economic stimulus money in any way. 
economic stimulus payments come from the IRS. The IRS won't contact you by phone, email, text message, or social media with information about any payments related to the coronavirus pandemic. They it won't even ask you for personal or financial information. Check out irs.gov coronavirus for the latest info about corona, coronavirus relief payments. But, you know, the IRS is not going to contact you or text you about any of that. So if you get an email that says you're getting some money, don't reply, period. And definitely don't give them your bank account or other financial information. Report it to the FTC at reportfraud.ftc.gov. All right. So, again, don't listen to letters you get from government agencies asking for money. Even if they pretend that there's some big wig at the government agency, don't. And if you do panic because you're getting this letter, call the agency itself. And don't call the number on the letter that you get. Call the actual number of the government agency because... They'll put a number on the letter and you'll call them and they'll say, yeah, you, you know, we're who you think you, we are and, um, you know, pay us some money. Well, no, don't call the number on the letter. Call the government agency directly. Look it up on Google or whatever. All right. So (laughs) three ways to avoid COVID-19 vaccine scams. Here we go. While vaccination details are getting worked out, here's what you can be sure of. You can't pay to put your name on a list to get the vaccine. That's a scam. You can't pay to get early access to the vaccine. That's a scam. Nobody legit will call about the vaccine and ask for your social security, bank account, or credit card number. That's a scam. Ignore any vaccine offers that say different or ask for personal or financial information. All right, so I hope that has brought you up to date on being educated on the kinds of scams coronavirus related as far as any relief money or any vaccine scams. We definitely do not want to, you know, put anything in our bodies that you don't know where it's coming from because that will cause more problems than you may already have. Okay, so that will do it for our coronavirus education half of the show. So let's move on to some fun stuff, which is gadget and things. Um, Again, I said at the beginning of the show that Verge has posted some videos on YouTube. And first, we're going to hear about a new year of gadgets because they have went to the 2021 CES uh, convention, I guess, and that was virtual, by the way. And so this is a concept and ideas on new products. So why don't we go ahead and take a listen to that. CES 2021 is over. CES 2021 was also virtual. Now, a virtual thing is not technically real. And so if it was never real in the first place, can it actually be over? Yes, CS 2021 is over. And because it was virtual, we were expecting it to be a pretty slow show, but it turns out there were some really interesting trends and things that happened this year. Now, 
CES is not a show where you should expect there to be huge flagship announcements of products that you can go out and buy right away. That's just not what the show is. It's a show about the parts of gadgets, like the screens and the processors. It's a lot of promises, basically. And that doesn't mean that it's vaporware, but it does mean that what you learn from CES is about the trends and things that are going to happen a little bit later, not things that you can go out and buy right now. But that said, I do think that some of those trends are really interesting. And so I wanna talk about a few of those promises. The first big trend of CES is the same trend as every CES and that there are a lot of concept devices. These are things that might not necessarily get made, but that doesn't mean that they're vaporware. It means that some companies have produced some things that are really interesting and that might turn into products or might tell you what a future product is going to look like. And the concept that ran away with the show was Razer's Project Hazel. It has an N95 rating, or at least it's supposed to if it ever gets certified. It uses little gaskets to breathe, but there will be filters on them. It's clear so that people can see you speaking, which is really interesting. It has a silicon thing over your nose, so hopefully it won't fog up glasses. It also has a microphone and a speaker that Razer says it's working with THX to tune so that your voice doesn't sound muffled when you're wearing the mask, that it sounds natural. Of course, it's rechargeable. Of course, it comes in a case with the UV light to disinfect it or whatever. And of course, because it's Razer, it's gonna have RGB lights that you can set to do all sorts of fancy color things. This is a cool idea. I don't know if they're actually gonna make it. And it's part of another trend that I just wanna mention on the side, which is there were a lot of COVID gadgets this year. And I was very, very nervous going into CES that what we were going to see is We'll call it COVID profiteering. A bunch of gadgets that don't actually help anybody that are very scientifically unsound, that are just taking advantage of people's fear of this pandemic. Luckily, it wasn't as bad as I thought. We have seen a few things like thermometers built into doorbells that I don't think are very useful because the science on you know, external thermometers like that isn't very good. We also saw a bunch of like UV gadgets disinfect stuff and that's fine. But overall companies were relatively good about not taking advantage of people's fear of the pandemic. And I don't think Razor did either, but I will tell you that the problem that we have with the pandemic right now isn't enough smart tech. The problem is that people aren't being smart themselves. They're not wearing masks. They're not social distancing, not as much as we need. So please, do that. And Razer, as cool as this Project Hazel thing is, I am more impressed with the fact that you switched one of your factories over to making masks for healthcare workers and that you gave away a million of them. Thank you for doing that. And if you decide you actually want to produce this Project Hazel smart mask, yeah, I'll take some blinky lights on my face. Why not? We saw a bunch of other regular kind of CES concepts. So of course we saw concept cars and we also saw a bunch of concept screens. Like for example, LG has a semi-transparent screen, which is a very good idea. They're showing it off again. That's even more transparent than before, but for some reason they think you're going to want to put it at the foot of your bed and have it rise up on a motor. Sure. Why not? The main thing that we see with concept screens is that they bend and fold. And so, TCL, which is trying really hard to prove that it's a big deal now, showed off a bunch of different bendy screens. It showed off this thing that was like literally a scroll, which 
maybe someday, I don't know. The rolly screen that I'm most impressed with is LG's rollable phone. It's a phone where it sort of rolls out to become a tablet-sized thing or rolls back into the regular form factor that you expect. It is just a concept, but LG says they are going to sell one this year. LG also makes the wing though, so they're probably not gonna sell that many of them, but just getting one out the door will be interesting. And yeah, I want a phone that turns into a tablet and a foldable is one way to do it and a rollable is a really interesting different way. The next big thing that happened at CES has to do with processors and laptops. So let's talk about processors and laptops. We had keynote presentations from Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA, and you put all of them together, and what I think you're going to get are gaming laptops in 2021 that are very, very interesting and very good, I hope. So Intel, it has a bunch of new core chips, and you probably know by now that Intel's had a rough go of it lately. They had to sell off their modem business to Apple. They're competing with Apple with Apple's new M1 chip, which is very good in terms of performance per watt. And Intel's having a hard time getting down to the 10 and 7 nanometer process for making its chips, which we know are more power efficient or more powerful per watt. Anyway, Intel, they're doing their best with kind of what they got. And they do have some interesting things coming, but we will have to see if they are like significantly better or if we're still playing the waiting game with them. Then there's AMD, which has another generation of its Ryzen processors running on the seven nanometer process, which means that they can be very powerful without completely destroying your battery. I'm very interested to see what these are like, and I'm also kind of hoping that they're actually easier to find because they weren't in a ton of laptops last year, but the ones that they were in were very, very good. Finally, there is Nvidia, which is bringing down some GPUs to gaming laptops that are actually more powerful than I would have guessed as early as they're coming. I would have figured it would take it a little bit longer for this much power to come to gaming laptops. And by this much power, what I mean is proper 1440p resolutions running at 90 frames per second. That seems like it's completely a doable thing on gaming laptops this year in form factors that aren't like three inches thick and weigh eight pounds. Now, after all these announcements were made, there were a ton of laptop announcements because all those parts were public and so all the companies that are making laptops can talk about all those parts. We're interested in a bunch of them, but the one that I'm most interested in is the successor to this guy right here, the Republic of Gamers Zephyrus G14 or whatever. There's a G15 that's gonna use this design and it's gonna have, I hope, really, really good performance. And I think it's gonna be one of our favorite laptops of 2021 if it pans out because this guy right here was one of our favorite laptops of 2020. Now, if you're not interested in gaming laptops, what does all this chip and gaming laptop stuff actually mean to you? Well, watch Intel. See, on the one front, they're fighting Apple, which has its ARM chips on its laptops. Qualcomm is trying to make a thing with ARM on Windows. We'll see how that goes. And AMD is hard charging on the x86 side. Intel sort of stuck in the middle, trying to make it work. And they have a new chip that's called Alder Lake that sort of takes some of the ideas from ARM in terms of you know, a big powerful processor and then little high efficient cores to improve battery life and just sort of improve overall performance on a laptop. And that is gonna be their big chance to try and take on the M1 chip with, you know, head to head performance. We shall see, but that is the best bet that they've got for 2021. And I'll be very, very interested to see what ultralight laptops with that chip look like and if they can be competitive with what's coming from Apple. 
If you know anything about CES, you know that what it really is deep down in its heart and its soul, what it truly wants to be is a TV show. And so of course we got a bunch of TV announcements. We got TV announcements before CES even technically began because everybody was trying to get out ahead of it. And this year, the thing for you to remember, if you're not buying a high-end TV, if you're just buying a TV, is make sure you get one with HDMI 2.1. It's pretty much everywhere, but it's pretty much the best way for you to be sure that you're gonna be at least a little bit future-proof. Now, you're gonna have to check a whole bunch of specs to make sure it can support all the stuff that you might want from a PS5 or an Xbox Series X if you're getting one of those, if you're lucky to have already bought one. But at the very least, HDMI 2.1 is a start. Now, in terms of high-end TV technology, the big story here is mini LED versus OLED. So you might know that OLED TVs are really good because they can have truly black blacks and then bright whites. You get a high contrast ratio. They look amazing. And LG is the king of making OLED TVs. But there's a competing technology. It is mini LED. And what it tries to do is have the light that shines behind the pixels be ever, ever smaller so there's more dimming zones so that it can get true black as well. The advantage to mini LED is that it's not organic, which means that it should last longer and there's fewer burn-in concerns. The disadvantage is they have to do a lot of work to get those mini LEDs more and more mini so that they can get closer to the true black that you can get from OLED. Samsung thinks it's really getting there and it's pushing it hard. And another company, TCL, is also pushing mini LED. Now, you might think of TCL just as a sort of a value brand. They make very good TVs for the money and they run you know, Roku software. We've loved TCL TVs for a long time, but TCL really wants to, they really want to be LG. They want to show that they are a big high technology company and you should pay attention to their innovation. And so they are pushing mini LED as well. But LG is not just sitting still. Their OLED TVs they claim are brighter and that's one of the few knocks on OLED TVs, besides, you know, they're really expensive, is that they don't necessarily get bright enough if you've got a really sunny living room. And so LG is promising that its TVs can be brighter than ever. Will any of this matter to you if you're trying to buy a TV in 2021? Maybe if you're gonna spend lots of money on a TV, but what really does matter with all of this high technology mini LED versus OLED stuff is if you're gonna buy a TV down the road, all this stuff is gonna eventually trickle down to TVs that cost a more reasonable amount of money. Oh, one more thing that's interesting with TVs is smart TV software. Sony is switching over from Android TV to Google TV, which is the, you know, the Googleified version of Android TV. I think that's good. I think Google TV is actually pretty solid. LG has taken WebOS and made it act less like the old way WebOS worked and more just like a standard, boring smart TV interface. I mean, just look how they massacred my boy. Now, like I said, this is all trend stuff. You're not gonna be able to go out and buy pretty much any of this stuff today. You will get some of it later this year, but this is telling you where technology is going, not what you can go out and buy today. And so it's stuff to watch out for. If you are looking for something that you can just go out and buy today, well, guess what? Samsung just announced the Galaxy S21 series and uh, we've got a hands-on. I'm gonna be reviewing it very soon. You can check that out because it is the flagship Android phone for the year for Samsung. As for all this CES stuff and all the promises that all these tech companies are making, well, you know what? Actually, some of it does seem pretty promising. 
Thanks so much for watching. Let me know what you thought the best stuff at CES was down in the comments below. There was a ton of things that I couldn't get to. There were new Wi-Fi 6E routers. There were some other concept cars. And there was this ice cream maker that sort of works like a Keurig machine where you like drop a cannon and it just gives you a soft serve. People were really excited about it because I guess people want to pay too much for ice cream. I love ice cream. I don't need to spend that much money on it. All right. So, you know, I think I'd be interested in that uh, screen coming out of the foot of the bed. I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, you wouldn't have to have extra space for a TV, you know, on a dresser or on your wall or whatever. And so, uh, and it would be in a perfect position to watch, you know. You wouldn't have to look off to the side to watch it. you just look down the bed and there it is. I think that would be pretty cool. <laughs> I'd be interested in something like that. Okay. So, again, he mentioned that he was coming out with some videos on the S21, uh, S21 Plus, and the S21 Altos. We have the audio right here. So, let's get into, um, I think this one is going to be the Ultra, or maybe it's the S21, S21 Plus, but we'll play them both. Um, I just don't know which one is first, but uh, let's go ahead and get to that. The Galaxy S21 and S21 Plus are officially here, and Samsung has brought all the latest improvements that you'd expect from a flagship Galaxy design. New specs, better designs, the works. But the biggest thing about this year's new phones isn't actually the phones themselves. It's that after years of prices that have been steadily creeping upwards, Samsung has reversed course on this year's flagships. They start for $200 less than last year's Galaxy S20 models. The S21 starts at just $799, and the S21 Plus at $999. Now, that's a big change, and that's despite the fact that these phones are actually more advanced in some ways, like the new Snapdragon processor. So what's the catch? Well, there are a couple of changes that Samsung has made to help hit those lower price points. For starters, the base Galaxy S21, its back is made out of polycarbonate plastic instead of aluminum. And both phones have shifted from the curved screens that Samsung has been using for years down to a flat panel. Now, I happen to personally like flat panel phones, but if you're a fan of the old curved designs, it's something that you'll want to be aware of. There are a couple bigger changes to specs, though, that Samsung has made here. Both panels are lower resolution than last year's models, down to 2400 by 1080 resolution instead of 3200 by 1440. They also come with less RAM, just 8 gigabytes instead of 12. Now, does any of that actually make a difference in daily use? I don't know, but we will definitely have an answer for you when we're able to fully review these devices soon. Of course, there's still a lot of new things to like. There's the new design, which we'll talk about in a minute. There's the Qualcomm Snapdragon 888 processor, which promises to be even faster than last year's. And there's improvements to the already really good cameras from last year. Now, at least head-on, the S21s do broadly resemble their predecessors, with edge-to-edge -edge OLED displays, hole-punched cameras, and the same 6.2-inch and 6.7-inch screen sizes. Although, again, their flat panel's not curved. Flip it over, though, and you'll see some differences. Gone is the back piece of glass. Now it's just either aluminum or polycarbonate, depending on which model you get. 
which in theory should be less fingerprinty, but for some reason isn't. But the biggest design change on the S21 models is the camera bump. Now, for years, as long as smartphone manufacturers have been trying to cram in better lenses and bigger sensors into our phones, we've been stuck with these big, ugly, protruding camera bumps. And last year's S20 lineup was particularly egregious, with that massive squirkle thing that just stuck out of that otherwise beautiful glass back. Now, the S21 and the S21 Plus still have a camera ray, but instead of jutting out, Samsung has made it this seamless piece of metal that smoothly flows from the metal rails of the phone onto the back, and a spiffy two-tone design that looks great, especially on that purple and gold model. Look, it's not perfect. No camera bump ever will be. But if I do have to get stuck with a camera bump, and if you want good pictures on your phone, you probably do, I'd really love it to keep looking like this. As for those three cameras, there's a 12 megapixel wide, a 12 megapixel ultra wide, and a 64 megapixel telephoto lens, along with a 10 megapixel selfie camera in that hole punch on the front display. Now, if those sound a little familiar to you, it's because that these are virtually identical, at least hardware-wise, to the cameras on last year's S20 and S20+. Plus. That said, Samsung says that it has made improvements to things like AI processing and added some new camera features, so there are some things to look forward to. As for the phones themselves, they're really polished pieces of hardware, which again, this is Samsung's big flagship, so it's sort of what you would expect from that. Of the two, I prefer the S21 size, but unfortunately that plastic back just has it feeling cheaper than the S21 Plus, which is a shame because it's just a little too big for my tastes. Both phones are also surprisingly light, possibly because there's no slab of glass on the back. Those lighter weights are despite the fact that the S21 has a 4,000 milliamp hour battery, the same as last year's model, and the S21 Plus actually has a bigger 4,800 milliamp hour battery. As for ports, they're what you would expect from a 2021 smartphone, which is to say, limited. There's a USB-C port. There's also a power button and volume buttons, no weird Bixby buttons here, no headphone jacks, although there is wireless charging if you need another way to charge your phone. If you're getting the base Galaxy S21, you'll have a choice of four colors, white, grayish black, pink, and my personal favorite, the purple and gold, which looks fantastic. The S21 Plus has three colors, which are slightly different and, in my opinion, a little better. There's the same purple and gold and the same black and gray, but the S21 Plus's silver option is this really nice, almost pearlescent silver that shimmers in different colors in the light. It looks really good. Both phones fully support 5G, with support for both sub-6 and millimeter wave 5G, thanks to the integrated Qualcomm Snapdragon 888 processor so it should work with basically whatever phone network you have. The Galaxy S21 and S21 Plus are a different type of flagship for Samsung. Instead of just chasing the absolute best phone that they can make, and don't worry, they're also doing that with the Galaxy S21 Ultra, which check out our other video on that. But it really speaks to a different philosophy that Samsung is taking here, one that we started to see with last year's Galaxy S20 FE, which is to say that they're looking to make these great phones a little more affordable to the average consumer, which in a world of $1,000 flagships or $2,000 foldables is a really appealing prospect. Now, whether or not the trade-offs that Samsung has made here are something that we will definitely have to get into and definitely have to see. But at least on paper, the S21 is exciting and at least compared to last year, far more affordable flagship than we've seen from Samsung in a long, long time. 
to the ones on last year's Dear God. Oh, that was so good, though. Our video producer, Becca, has told me that I'm wrong and that the flat white one is better, but I'm on the camera right now. It's true! <laughs> Okay, so <clears throat> that'll tell you a little bit about the Samsung 21 and the Samsung 21 Plus. Now, personally, I don't really care about um, cameras, uh, so that doesn't really bother me. I don't really take a lot of pictures, and I don't care how they turn out. <laughs> I just mostly take pictures for memories and not so much like to be an artist. So cameras don't matter to me. Um, colors don't really matter to me, but it's good that they're trying to make, uh, phones a little bit more affordable, <clears throat> you know, so that, uh, more people can buy them. That makes good business sense. Um, so why don't we go ahead and listen about the Ultra, the Samsung Galaxy 21 Ultra. And I think that one has the Note Pen, which I like, because I... I still have the Galaxy 10, I think it is. Would it, whichever one has the notepad. But, like, I know they skipped from 10 to 20, I guess. Maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> I have the old phone. But we're in the market to uh, maybe upgrade. So that's why I was interested in hearing about these uh, Samsung 21, the Samsung 21 Plus. And now we will hear about the Samsung 21 Ultra. So let's take a listen. How would you make the best smartphone? Like, if money was no object, what would it look like? Would it have more cameras, better cameras, a bigger and brighter screen, faster processors, more RAM, more storage, a stylus? Well, Samsung thinks it has the answer. The Galaxy S21 Ultra. A phone that imagines what it would look like if you didn't have to make any compromises. It's a phone that shows what the best of Samsung hardware and Android software can look like, if you're willing to pay for it. The Galaxy S21 Ultra is Samsung's latest superlatively named smartphone. It's the successor to last year's Galaxy S20 Ultra, and it shares a lot in common with that phone. Giant OLED display, an 108 megapixel camera, the works. But the Galaxy S21 Ultra is a refined version of last year's model, one that looks to smooth out some of the sharp edges of the S20 Ultra. Literally, in some cases, thanks to the new rounded design language that Samsung is using here. And looking at the spec sheet, the S21 Ultra does sound like a top-of-the-line Android wishlist come to life. There's a 6.8-inch 3200 by 1440 OLED display with refresh rates that go up to 120 hertz. And unlike last year's model, you'll actually be able to run that 120 hertz refresh rate at full resolution. Although it is an adaptive refresh rate, so Samsung software will control where and when that's ramping up. It also has 12 gigabytes of RAM, Qualcomm's latest Snapdragon 888 processor, up to 512 gigabytes of storage, and a massive 5,000 milliamp hour battery. It also fully supports 5G with support for both sub six gigahertz and millimeter wave 5G. And it also has an ultra wideband radio, which will work with Samsung's new Galaxy tags. It's honestly hard to imagine Samsung cramming anything else in here. Of course, just because Samsung can't physically fit it in the phone doesn't mean they're done adding features. This year's Galaxy S21 Ultra will be the first Galaxy S phone to support Samsung's S Pen stylus, which clips onto optional cases. Unfortunately, that stylus isn't included in the box. Instead, you'll have to shell out another $40 for the stylus itself, 
or buy it in a $70 bundle that includes a case, either one that flips out or just clips onto the side. You might say that it's a bit expensive. Pricing aside though, the S Pen on the S21 Ultra does work pretty similar to the Galaxy Note. You'll be able to use it to write down notes, navigate around the operating system, and convert handwriting to text. If you do really like the S Pen on the Galaxy Note, you'll probably like this a lot. Although, it does add even more bulk to what already is a giant phone by almost any metric, so it is something you'll want to think about. And then, there's the cameras. Now, last year's S20 Ultra shot for the moon, literally. Like, Samsung's tech demo was showing how it could zoom and take pictures of the moon. But despite Samsung's lofty ambitions, there were some issues. The original S20 Ultra suffered from problems with autofocus, among other photographic bugs. The S21 Ultra, though, promises a better experience. There's a new laser autofocus system, which Samsung says should help with a lot of the focusing issues, especially when you're zoomed all the way in using that wild 100x zoom feature. There's also support for 12-bit color depth, a better demosaicing process, and refinements to how Samsung is handling AI things and especially smoothing. That said, we're gonna have to wait for a lot more comprehensive testing before we see if Samsung has actually elevated the S21 Ultra's camera from a cool tech demo into a camera contender. Now, the S21 Ultra isn't just about that 108 megapixel sensor though. There's also another three additional cameras on the back, just for fun. There's a 12 megapixel ultra wide for getting wide shots and two separate telephoto cameras, one that goes up to 3x zoom and one that goes up to 10x zoom. Now, both of those telephotos shoot at 10 megapixels and offer optical image stabilization. Now, the reason why there are two separate telephoto lenses is for more versatility. It lets users have a little more control and offers a little better options in terms of zooming at different lengths. Now, all four of those cameras, along with the laser autofocus system and the flash, are all located in the new giant camera bump that's on the back of the phone. But like the smaller S21s, this is where Samsung's new design really comes to play here, which is that the camera bump isn't this weird oblong squircle anymore that's just ruining the back of your phone. Samsung has melded it with the aluminum frame for a much nicer look. It just kind of flows together now, which is much better. That said, there's still a whole bunch of stuff that Samsung needs to fit in that array, so it doesn't look quite as nice as the three cameras on the S21 and S21 Plus. That ever so slightly bit of awkwardness is a pretty common trend on the S21 Ultra. It's just a bit bigger than the S21 Plus, which just makes it a bit harder to hold in your hands. It's a bit heavier. Now again, none of that's a bad thing. You are getting a lot more for that extra bit of size and weight. You're getting, you know, the better cameras, the better screen resolution, more RAM, the S Pen support. But those differences do add up, especially when you factor in the fact that this phone costs $300 more at its base price than the S21 Plus. As you might expect from a 2021 flagship phone, there's only one port, which is a USB-C port. Buttons on the side are also pretty standard. There is a power button and a volume rocker. There is no Bixby button. Rest in peace. One of the other big differences between the S21 Ultra and the S21 and S21 Plus is the shape of the display. The S21 and S21 Plus have shifted over to a flat panel, but the S21 Ultra, with that higher resolution, is still sticking with that classic, gently curved Samsung display that you know and love from years past. As for that screen, it looks great. Samsung is one of the best when it comes to making OLED panels that just shine. It is almost eye-searingly bright, the resolution looks crisp, and the 120 hertz scrolling is incredibly smooth. It is just a wonderful screen. 
The Galaxy S21 Ultra starts at $1,299, although price goes up as you add storage, with pre-orders starting on January 14th and shipping on January 29th. It is a different kind of phone than Samsung's other flagships. This is the creme de la creme. This is the phone that you get when you want the absolute best, when money is not a factor. I don't think the S21 Ultra is going to be the phone for everyone. But if you want the absolute best Android phone that you can buy, or the best smartphone that you can buy, honestly, well, I think the Galaxy S21 is going to make a really compelling case that it is that phone. Thanks so much for watching. We will have a lot more on the new Galaxy S20 lineup in the coming days. Check out our other video if you want to hear more about the S21 and S21 Plus, Samsung's cheaper options, and like and subscribe for more great videos like this. All right, so uh, I see, or I heard, that the, the Ultra is like my Galaxy Note, but a lot of expense. Uh, to go into it. So I don't use the pen all that much. Uh, on occasion, I do. So I probably will go for the, if I am going to upgrade, I probably will go for the S21 or the S21 Plus, but probably just the S21 because I don't really need uh, the camera functions or anything like that. And it seems like it would be too expensive to get the S Pen, and I don't really use it all that much anyways. So uh, I think uh, my choice will be the S21. All right, now tax season is coming up, so I must warn you about, you know, scams, again, that can come up uh, during tax season. The United States tax season is here, and so are the scammers. This is from uh, the B Better Business Bureau. Con artists use the social security numbers of unsuspecting Americans to file phony tax returns and steal refunds. One way to protect this information is to use a identity protection pin issued by the IRS. In fact, a number may have been issued to you last year if you filed a return online. Be aware of online identity theft with these tips. And so they go on to say how to avoid tax ID theft scams. File early. The best way to avoid tax identity theft is to fi file your taxes as early as possible before a scammer has a chance to use your information. Watch out for red flags. If a written notice from the IRS arrives in the mail about a duplicate return, respond promptly. Or if an IRS notice arrives stating you received wages from somewhere you never worked or receive other notices that don't actually apply to you, contact the IRS office immediately. Another big red flag is if you receive a notice that additional taxes are owed. The refund will be offset or a collection actions are being taken against you for a year you did not file a tax return. Contact the IRS if you have any suspicions that your identity has been stolen. And protect your social security number. Don't give out your social security number unless there's a good reason and you're sure who you're giving it to. Research your tax preparer. Uh, make sure your tax preparer is trustworthy before handing over your personal information. All right, so that'll do it for our show for today. So if you have any questions or comments 
on what you heard on the show today, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. This is the Consumer Review Report on WMCK.FM Internet Radio in McKeesport, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc. I'm Diane Rebecca, wishing everyone a safe and good week.